New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today I'm hosting Rachel Kaplan. She, along with Kay Ruby Bloom, are the authors of Urban Homesteading, Heirloom Skills for Sustainable Living. Rachel, thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. I'd like to talk about just what is urban homesteading. We think of homesteading as something in the 1800s or something here in the U.S. So what do you mean by urban homesteading? So in the cities of our country right now is a, is a grassroots movement of people who are learning to grow their own food, preserve their own food, take care of animals, um, grow their own herbs to make herbal medicine, manage their water and their waste and their energy more efficiently, and build stronger community relationships. So these are skills that generations ago people practiced as a matter of course, but have been lost in our speedy convenience culture. And people are reskilling themselves, reclaiming these what we call heirloom skills, so that they can live more sustainably in this country. There was one part of the book, it was about seed banks, and some people have taken over physical banks and put these heirloom seeds in the vaults. Yeah, you're talking about Baker Creek Seed Company, which is actually based right now in my town, Petaluma, California, and they have rented a storefront, which was once a bank, and it's called the Seed Bank, and they have thousands of varieties of heirloom seeds from all around the country, and they originally were based in Missouri. They have their home flagship store there, but I believe they rented a space in Petaluma because the majority of people who were buying seeds through the catalog lived within two or three hours of Petaluma, and this particular bank had a vault where they could store the seeds safely. So they're involved in honoring this germplasm of life, which is being patented all around by companies like Monsanto, and keeping this beautiful, wild diversity of heirloom seeds that has been developed over millennium by farmers and gardeners. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a big issue because mm-hmm. with patented seeds, these companies get a lock on these are ours and nobody else can use them. And what is the danger of that? Well, first of all, seeds belong to the earth and to all of us. They should not be owned by corporations or by people in boardrooms who decide who gets to grow what where. So like with all corporate endeavors, it consolidates control in the hands of the few to the detriment of the many. So we want to hold on to the heritage of our seeds as much as we can. And like much of corporate control, it it creates a monoculture out of things as opposed to the diversity of life, which is the hallmark of a healthy system. So we seek the variety of seeds that have been cultivated over millennia to help maintain that diversity. Let's talk about soil. You encourage people to get rid of their lawns and to really do something else with them. Well, especially in the water-scarce West, keeping a lawn is 
sheerly silly. It's just a waste of water, and we can't really support that. So one of the things we really recommend is doing something called sheet mulching, which is smothering the lawn basically in compost and cardboard and mulch, encouraging the earthworms to chomp and eat and do away with the grass so we can plant gardens of native plants or vegetables if we prefer, or trees or flowers or pollinating plants so that we have a more diversity of plant life. Again, back to the monoculture thing, lawns, 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 grass, 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 one crop that we can't eat. We throw pesticides on. We use fossil fuel-powered mowers to mow. It takes half the afternoon on Saturday. Scoop at Nisker said if aliens came down and saw us doing our lawns, they'd think the lawns were our god that we really were worshiping, (laughs) you know, the way we treat our lawns. Yeah. And a lawn can be a nice thing, you know, if you live in a place where um, the earth waters it for you. But in a place like California, when there's no water in the summer and everything gets brown and dry, Mm -hmm. it's not a smart use of resources. Some years ago, we did an interview with Brad Lancaster, Mm -hmm. and he lives in Phoenix or Tucson, one or the other, where they get very, very yeah. little rain, yeah. and he's been able to harvest yeah. water and has a, like this oasis yeah. and has a book out about that. So there's a lot we can do even yeah. within a place that doesn't get a lot of Absolutely. water. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned him. He's one of the water gurus. He wrote Water Harvesting for Drylands, I believe, and there are an incredible number of ways that you can catch and store water as it comes from the sky and as it comes from your house. You can You can dig something called a swale in your front yard, which is like It's basically a trench where the water pools and then sinks into the ground instead of running off down the street and down into the sewer. You can catch your gray water through barrels and hoses and send it right out to the landscape. And you really can create a verdant, lush oasis, even in the middle of the desert. I'm very excited about swales. And they're not just a hole, but you have some gravel in it, and Mm -hmm. you do a whole layering. Mm -hmm. And the city of Davis, California, is like a model. It's just this green, lush place in the middle of the Central Valley that is so hot in the summertime. It gets 100 degrees, and it gets no rain, and yet this is an oasis town. And the University of California, Davis, is there. It's a great place. Absolutely. Davis is a great example. Davis has one of the largest co-housing developments there. It's full of fruit trees and beautiful landscaping. You walk through this neighborhood and there's fruit falling off the trees and gardens here and gardens there. And you can literally lower the temperature of a town by planting more trees and by catching more water. Right. So in your book, you talk about we don't have to start off with the huge, okay, I'm going to do this whole gardening and I'm going to grow all my own food. We can start, for those of us who have never done anything, start small. Yeah. So what would you suggest? I say everyone should start with something they love, something that they are called to participate in. So it could have something to do with food. Food's a great gateway into the sustainable lifestyle. It could be water or it could be I'm going to try to live a zero-waste lifestyle and you set goals for yourself to use less and less um, packaging and plastic and beer bottles or whatever it is that you are contributing to the waste stream. So there's lots of little ways to get started. And it's also important to remember that you don't have to do it all, that you can do it in collaboration with members of your community, with your family, with your neighbors, and that what we're trying to build is a network of people who are 
aware of more conscientious ways to use resources, grow food, share labor, share the bounty. And a wonderful way to start to get to know your neighbors is around a project, Mm -hmm. let's say a community garden. So how does that work? Well, where I live, we gather together to do different work projects together. We get together and we sheet mulch each other's lawns or we get together and we install gray water systems and we get together and we have a cider pressing party or we have a bounty meal at the end of the year. So there's lots of different ways that you can find common ground with the people around you and people who care about these things. And what about there's farmer's market and then there's growing your own. So it's not abandoning farmer's market, I guess. No, no. And I think it's wonderful to support local farmers. That's a great piece of the food puzzle that we're all trying to work out as we wean ourselves from industrial agriculture and try to rebuild local networks of food. Farmer's markets are essential. And some people don't want to grow food or don't have the time or the interest. And so I believe it's more important to try to source your food locally than it is to grow it yourself. But if you do love the idea of growing food, there's a lot of simple, low-budget, small-space solutions to growing food in containers and barrels and raised beds. And you can get an amazing amount of food out of a 55-gallon barrel. Amazing. So it's like if you only have a balcony, you can start to do something. What can you do on your balcony? You can grow many things in a barrel. You can grow beans and lettuce and carrots and pumpkins and tomatoes and (laughs) turnips. It really depends on what you love to eat. What about the spiritual aspect of going out on your balcony and picking your own tomato? Somehow that seems like a spiritual act to me. To me, the whole lifestyle feels very connected to spirit and to connecting to the sources of life that nourish us. So again, different people have different ways of experiencing that. Some people through food, some people through compost. There's a quote in the beginning of the book, Bette Midler. She said, I've been looking my whole life for a spiritual experience that illuminates and inspires. And that's what I had with my first compost bin. You know, there's a way to see that the way we connect to the cycles of life in whatever way that is, that is going to connect us to the great spirit. So tomatoes, worms, compost. All right. All right. So I encourage everyone to take a look at this book. It's physically beautiful. It's full of lots of information, but it's also full of many, many pictures. And you just are going to get lots of ideas on whatever level you're at. So I encourage you to pick it up and take a look. And I want to thank you, Rachel, for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you so much, Justine. I've been speaking with Rachel Kaplan. She, along with Kay Ruby Bloom, are the authors of Urban Homesteading Heirloom Skills for Sustainable Living. And if you'd like to be in touch with them, you can go to Rachel Kaplan's website, urban-homesteading.org. That's urban-homesteading.org. And you'll find events and blogs and lots of interesting things there. And for Kay Ruby Bloom, she does something called the Institute for Urban Homesteading. And if you um, are in Northern California, she teaches classes in doing all of these things. So you can go to her website. It's iuhoakland.com. That's iuhoakland.com. Or you can get to either of these websites through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. Thank you.
for joining us, and we ask you to please join us again for the New Dimensions Cafe. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.